0: On today's episode of Adventure Rider Radio, we're going to be talking with Kinga Tanawaska, a Polish-born motorcycle enthusiast that now calls Australia her home. Kinga heads off into the Australian outback to camp and ride through a land that has more deadly animals than anywhere on the planet. And she does it alone. We're also going to meet Brian Clark, a Brit that signed on for a guided motorcycle trip, only to find he didn't like the trip. Yet in spite of it, he fell in love with adventure. I'm Jim Martin. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter, too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and B-Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com.
1: Hi, I'm Sam Manicom. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Brian Phil. Justin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Marie. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed Mark. Glenn Hexted. Woody from Woody's Wheel World. Bennett Smith. Gregory Fraser. Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates,
0: Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tax. Zoe
1: Cano. Nathan Miller. Walter Cole. Joe Russ.
0: Crystal Baya Vaz. Lawrence Hacking. Jeremy Craker, Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Susan Johnson. Lois Price.
1: Robert Wick. Spencer Conway. Dead Simon.
0: Elizabeth Martin. I'm Natasha Martin, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. Greenchiliadv.com. Kinga Tanawaska lives in Australia. She is originally from Poland, but Australia is now her home. Kinga is a true motorcyclist in every sense of the word and its meaning. She sees motorbikes as part of her identity. It's in her DNA, it's who she is. And like many of us, Kinga has longed for a great adventure but has work commitments. So with a little thinking and planning, she's managed to work that out that she can still have an adventure and keep her job. And in that, she managed to achieve her first big trip around Australia. Kinga is not a mechanic nor an accomplished off-road rider, but she does have a passion, and with passion and direction, well, Kinga is proof that those two things combined are part of a formula to get things done.
2: My name is Kinga Tanayevska. I'm an adventure rider from Australia.
0: Kinga, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. You have been a motorcyclist a good portion of your life. How did you start out with motorcycling?
2: Um, I always loved motorcycles um, since I was a teenager, and I really don't know what triggered it. Um, It's just I always loved motorcycles. and Back in the 90s, the Polish motorcycle community was very small in Poland, and uh, we didn't have motorcycle dealers we didn't have qualified mechanics bike shops and that sort of stuff forget about the gear nothing was really available you know the communists uh, broke down in 1990 so it was everything you know we were sort of you know getting um we, Poland started developing but it was very slow in 90s so um most of the people I knew they were riding you know old Russian military uh, motorcycles or Yavas you know Check or, Yavas or MZ, you know, I don't know if you've heard about those ones. No. Um, hardly anyone had Japanese bikes. And if someone did, that was like, wow, can I sit on it? You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, my God, someone's got Japanese bike. But so that was the start. And uh, we all get, got along. Uh, you know, I uh, met some fantastic people. They taught me how to ride. And I was then I was in my teens. Um, and yeah, after finish high school, my father bought me my first Japanese bike from, that was Honda Nighthawk 450. That was CB 450 from 82, uh, 82 in model. So yeah, and that's how it started. That was my first bike.
0: So that CB, that was like the, the upper echelons of motorcycles then that you're riding at that point. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah. Well, that yeah. Someone else had it in my town, and yeah, it was pretty old for then, you know. So I bought my first bike in '96, so that was already almost, you know, uh, what, fifteen-year-old bike back then. But um, but yeah, it was it was brilliant. Yeah, it was perfect for my for for our first bike.
0: What's the big deal with the Japanese bike? Because it's better quality.
2: I think because it, it wasn't available, you know, Poland, uh, during communism, we really, you know, we didn't have foreign. Bikes and cars, Uh, we only had whatever we had that was sold in Poland. So uh, I think because it was something so, um, it was desirable because it wasn't available, you know.
0: How did you end up in Australia?
2: When I finished my degree, engineering degree in Poland, I thought this is okay. This is my time to go and travel before I, you know, settle down and get a job. So I thought, this is my time to go to Australia. I always wanted to come to Australia. It was, you know, my dream. Um, I did travel for a bit uh, through my uni uni years. I took one year off and I lived in the US for a year and, you know, in, around Europe in England. And I've seen all those places. But I thought, okay. I was actually in between Canada I always wanted to go to Canada and Australia and I thought okay let's let's try Australia first because the weather is nicer <laughs> and it's, you can't go further than that so um so yeah so I just came to Australia and met my um my later on husband uh 6 months later and just decided to stay <laughs>
0: Hang on a second here. I, I got to take you up on this because you just said that you were comparing Australia to Canada and you thought the weather was better in Australia. How'd you come up with that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, I thought, yeah, well, I don't know. I just know, I don't <laughs> even it because know. because
0: we have snow in Canada? That sort of turned you off?
2: Uh, I'm used to snow. Um, I'm used to snow. So I think because Canada has, you know, s- uh, same climate as Poland, uh, uh-huh. it will be very similar. So harsh cold winters and warm summers so we've got all seasons so i already know how it is you know how so it is to live in that different. sort of climate so i was looking probably yeah for something different you know to to have sun all year round and to ride, be able to ride your bike you know 12 months uh in a year so yeah i went for australia and i regret nothing that was the best decision of my life
0: because it's now a, you're riding yeah, 12 a months time. of the year
2: Yes, absolutely, and you know it's it's Australia. It's riding heaven for adventure riding. It's so there's so much to explore. It's unreal, and you you know you you can get even you know once you leave major cities, you don't even have to go on gravel or, or sorry on on bitumen at all. There's so many dirt roads. There's for so many levels, skill levels, and it's just yeah, it's it's un, unreal. Um, yeah.
0: And that's what we wanted to talk to you about. It was your, your solo trip that you did around Australia. I know you did it in two parts. H- how did you come up with the idea to do a, our trip around Australia? Maybe that's, maybe that's a too easy of a question because it's probably the first thing that landed, first thing that got in your head when you landed in Australia is I'm yeah, going to ride around yeah. here and check this out. Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. And you know, there's so many people who, who, who are doing it, who's done it and I've heard about them and I thought, okay, well this. This can't be that hard. There's, you know, this you know, once once you hear you hear about people who've done that. and and I thought, okay, I would love to do it one day. And um, back then, I was I was on a graduate program uh, with a company I'm working for now, and I remember I had really understanding my boss, and I said to him, look, I'm on this program now, so you know, it's probably, you know, it. Is it okay to relocate me? Can you send me somewhere in Australia so I can ride my bike around it so, you know, I can just get to the location, you know, half I'll I'll do one half to get to location and then work there for as long as you want me to and then I'm just going to come back? He goes, yes, no problem. Go to Western Australia. We've got – I work for – company who produces concrete so we've got mobile concrete plants on the mine side so it was perfect it was you know i I got to work in mining industry i got to travel around australia just everything worked out perfectly yeah
0: so how long did the first leg take you
2: so i did it in two stages um it took me four weeks uh each time uh first first part was through northern part of australia northern half so that took me at nine and a half thousand kilometers then i stopped over for work i was going to stop over for work only for six months but it stretched to one ear because i loved it so much and it was a really good roster because it was flying fly out so i was working for three that da- three weeks straight and then i was coming back to sydney for a week which was just perfect you know you get I love that uh, you get the you know the, you get to work in a desert for three three weeks and then you get to be in a city for a week. it was great and um, and you still keep in touch with your family and friends so uh, worked really real well for me. Uh, and then the second part it, yeah it was not same thing through southern part of Australia um, nine and a half around nine and a half thousand kilometers.
0: Nine and a half thousand kilometers for one way. Uh, I think if you haven't been to Australia, it's sort of tough to get your head around the distance that, that, that is there, that is there—that the size of Australia.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you can, you know, the scale is, you know, Pol- Poland is one of the, the biggest, you know, um, European countries, you know. Uh, and you can actually fit Poland in between Melbourne and Sydney. So if you look at the map, of Australia, it's tiny. You think it's like three hundred kilometers or something in between them because yeah, the distance are just yeah unreal. Um, and yeah, and when you're traveling through northern territory when there's absolutely nothing for kilometers, thousands of kilometers, you know, from from civilization to civilization, if you stick to the main roads, um, it's you know from the roadhouse to the roadhouse so it's a petrol station it's 300 k's, and in between that there's absolutely nothing and i loved it Uh, and you know you are you're riding on a road and you see one car a day if you're lucky sometimes if you pick you know more remote roads and uh, but it just that it gives you that sense of freedom and just I loved it. I got addicted to those, those remote regions and that's what I enjoy the most. The more remote, the better. It's just, um, you can pull over anywhere, set up a camp uh, and feel safe because there's not, you know, I had this rule that I was just trying to stay away from towns because, you know, towns, um, you never know who lives there. You never know, um, you know, I don't know, people party, people do different things. So, um, I always try to sort of hide and, and, and keep myself out of trouble because I have this sort of, you know, thing in my mind. If, so people can't see me, they can't hurt me. So yeah. Sure. So I just, yeah. Camp in random places. So people couldn't see me.
0: <laughs> what about the wildlife? I mean, the first thing you hear about Australia when we talk about it is, you know, everybody says, Oh, it's the highest yeah. number of animals. that will kill you and, and all that. And, and here you are camping in it.
2: Yeah, that is true. But you know what? Um, I don't know, for some, it's only weird when you do it first time, you know, I remember my first night when I I set up a camp, um, and I'm thinking, wow, I never camped on my own, ever, you know, always with friends or with my partner, and this is weird, but it's only weird for the first few nights, and then you just get used to it. And um, the wildlife, yes, okay, so we've got snakes, we've got spiders, we've got sharks, but I'm scared of sharks and I'm scared of what's in the, in the oceans. Even if I go for a swim, I don't go too far and it's pretty much very quick, you know, swim. Um, but when it comes to what light on the land, snakes are pretty good. If you make noise, they won't hurt you. They, they will sort of, you know, go away, um, just simple things. Don't go to high grass or if you have to go through, you know, high grass where you can't see what's on the ground, just take a stick, make noise and most of the snakes will, will leave you alone. They're not interested in you. With the spiders, easy, just close your tent, you know, close your your bags and, um, yeah, I've seen a few deadly spiders but it's just, yeah, they're not well, the, there is one particular one that, yeah, the, he will actually chase you down and he's a mean one. It's called Final Web, but uh, they live around in Sydney area. They're not outback spiders. And um yeah, it'll and chase you that, down? Well, yeah, it's aggressive one. So if you actually, you, you were to touch it or you were near it, yeah, it will actually, yeah, it will attack you.
0: So you've got to fight
2: it. Uh, yeah, pretty much, and he he's got he's really scary. Have a look at he's very hairy, and he he's got this 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 teeth like biting teeth like a snake. It's, yeah, he's pretty scary, and he he they live in damn sort of damp um, areas. So yeah. Very often in Sydney, people will have them after the rain, they will come to the houses. (laughs) I've seen a few, I've heard stories, you know, from a few friends that they actually had them in their houses and they're pretty big and, and yeah, mean, very mean looking. So, yeah, I would be scared of those ones. But out in a bush, you you don't see them.
0: (laughs) You kill that spider when it comes at you.
2: Yeah, well, I, I don't know. You don't. You just, I don't know, let them go away on his own i think <laughs> yeah you i'm not sure i've never had to kill one um only yeah only so the little ones uh it's called the red back spiders so i've seen those and um they apparently yes you can if in worst case scenario they do cause death but you have but apart from that normally they just make you very ill and you do have to go to the hospital and get injection and but they really, um they, they're cute and they're sort of tiny and they're not really so scary. So I've seen them a couple of times, but, you know, under the branches and stuff. But they just, you know, if you leave them alone, you just, yeah, they're just not going to harm you. So, yeah, so I guess spiders, people, you know, most people are afraid of spiders and and, and, and snakes, um, but they will leave you alone. You just have to be cautious. You just have to, like I said, if you make noise around camping camping site most of the wildlife will leave you alone um there's plenty of kangaroos and you know I, actually when i was doing my second part um i was leaving Peelbra and in april so that was you know that was um you know just early autumn but it was still very hot it was 45 degrees It was oh wow. riding through those temperature you know in this adventure gear oh it was it was a struggle you know i was drinking almost eight liters water a day because it, just to keep myself hydrated and i could not even bother to set up a a tent it was just too hot so I would sleep on on the picnic tables and uh, just to have a little bit of breeze and there will be so many kangaroos that would you know come and sniff and see what you've got in your bags and they actually make a lot of noise they're really loud when they jump you know and uh, and you know they chew the grass and, and 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 it's all good I just but I had you know I couldn't sleep for the first few times like the first few nights like I was just They make so much noise it's just you know i'm not scared of them because you know i can clearly see what they are um it's actually pretty cute and you know they keep they keep me company so i just you know put my earplugs in and that was the solution put your earplugs in and no wildlife gonna bother you at night (laughs) and you're gonna have quality sleep
0: (laughs) so it's like if you can't hear them they can't bother you it's as simple as that
2: It is. It is. And, you know, I'm actually less scared if I'm sleeping on a picnic table because I can open my eyes, have a look, okay, this is just an animal and he's not going to harm me. And the big animals in Australia won't harm you. They were just wombats, they, you know, kangaroos, they uh koalas they they, they they're not after you so you know wild horses, dingoes i've heard dingoes too around my camping ground that was actually that was actually pretty scary dingoes are not too bad but wild dogs are very confident you know around people so they will i remember you know i could hear him sniffing around my tent that was um near Darwin and I could hear him he's just walking around my tent sniffing sniffing and I didn't have my earplugs in my, my, my tent and it's was like oh god this is going to be a terrible night because I just keep imagining what and I knew he's just a dog or, or dingo but and I knew he's not going to go into my tent but it's just that he, it gives you that anxiety that something walks around your tent and, and makes those noises but the moment you put earplugs no problem they can do whatever they want around my camp I don't care I'm just going to have my sleep and and wake up fresh next month.
0: Isn't there fear of a dingo attacking you?
2: <sighs> no. Dingoes are cowards. And I know what you hear stories um, that, you know, there was a story that I've heard the story that dingo kidnapped or killed a baby. He took the baby out of the tent. There was this story ages and ages ago, you know, he, you know i did speak to people who live in the northern territory farmers and and they said look dingoes are cowards dingoes will normal dingoes majority of them they won't even come near you they see you they will walk away and it's so true i've seen so many dingoes they would never come and you know come and even even try your food if you even if you want to feed them they they will go away um but like i said the wild dogs are probably yeah, they're more uh, because they mix and they they were used to people, so they probably uh, more dangerous than, than than dingos themselves. But no, I, I wasn't afraid of dingoes at all. No, I, but yes, you do hear every now and then they did attack people, but I never had that experiences. So you know, I wasn't afraid of dingoes.
0: You mentioned long grass. What about if you ride your motorcycle through long grass? Is there fear of snakes then?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I uh, actually had one i never had i've never seen a snake while was riding through a long grass, but I saw a snake that on a bitumen road he was just right in the middle of the road. Uh, You know, a sunny day, he was just trying to warm himself up. And I I rode next to him and he actually went up and I could see his teeth and his mean face. He was actually going to bite me. And I'm thinking, really? I'm going 100 kilometers per hour and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to attack me? Just chill, man. (laughs) Stay on (laughs) Ashfield. I'm not going to run you over. But, yeah, that was actually pretty scary because he had just, you know, I was going pretty fast and he just reacted so fast so yeah yes there is a there is a risk but if you're wearing your you know boots your adventure riding gear off, oh, they're not gonna oh, i think you have to be very unlucky um to be beaten because you know you're already sitting up high on on you know on adventure on bike plus you've got boots so you're pretty much i think you're you pretty much covered even if they go for it
0: what are you riding
2: i'm riding f800 gs BMW f800 gs so
0: the F800, with 300 kilometers between fuel stops, you got to be pushing your limits there.
2: Yes, and I actually did run out of fuel a few times. So what I was carrying uh, was a fuel bladder, just four-liter fuel bladder, back then on a trip. Um, now I, I'm using camel tank. I don't know if you've heard about those auxiliary seven liter camel tanks they're fantastic they give me 500 range and i wish i had it i wish i had it on my trip i wouldn't have to worry about this bladder because it started leaking and you always have to fix it somewhere you know what i mean and um but yeah you have to always make sure you have enough fuel and water because you never know what's going to happen and like i said if you pick the remote route sometimes you don't see yourself for days so you need to be prepared um you know for a breakdown or, or whatever or you know, um, and have enough food, water and, 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 and fuel. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That is the big thing with, with Australia, isn't it? That's what really kills you more so than the animals is is the, um, yeah. the, uh, the fact that you're stuck there with no water.
2: Mm, absolutely. And, you know, I, I met this girl in Darwin. Uh, she was cycling around Australia, French girl. She just arrived. Literally, she didn't know anything about Australia. She, you know, arrived to Perth, purchased a bicycle, and off she went. So by the mo- I saw in Darwin, so she travelled through southern Australia, eastern Australia, and I met her in northern Australia. So she almost did the whole loop. And I was thinking, I'm just riding through this most remote areas, you know, where the petrol station, to, like literally from seeing people to seeing people, is 300 kilometres. That's okay. That's half a day for me. And if it doesn't feel right, I fill up and I go somewhere else. But for her... You know, ride cycling, she does probably on average 70 k's, you know, a day. How you plan your water, you know, it's, I was drinking five liters water a day. How And I wasn't even, you know, pushing, you know, I wasn't pedaling, you know. I didn't do any sort of physical exercises at that time. It was, you know, all you had to do is just, you know, accelerate. That's it. And um, I, I was amazed how she planned it. So, you know, sometimes she wouldn't see people for five days and, and she would be recycling. It was unreal, uh, such such a brave girl. But um, the we're very lucky in Australia. I don't know if you've heard about grey nomads. Have you ever heard about grey nomads? No. So they people who retired and... Um, who travel during, you know, their retirement with a camper vans or with uh, in cars, with camping trailers, and that's how they they live. they just like gypsies traveling around Australia, going everywhere, and they absolutely everywhere, and they are the people who help you out the most on the, on the road. They're the ones who give you water, you know, and, and that's what she said, people would just, you know, um, people who are going past her he, they will give a bottle of water on the way you know or do you need anything they will ask you do you need any food are you okay to keep going yep yeah, yep yeah, i'm okay and that's fantastic that's that's actually that's how you survive uh, if you stick to the main roads of course you know if you go to to to, to challenge the trucks you won't probably see them that much but um, but if you stick to the main roads there are the people who yeah who 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 are a great help and yeah, we definitely need them on the road. For you know, if you're traveling solo and um, and they're great people to have a chat. You know, if you're not feeling safe somewhere, and um you can see they pull over for the, for the night at the parking area. You know, rest area at the side of the road. And you know, if I felt like oh, this this just doesn't feel right, I want to actually be with people for tonight. Like be. Um, near people, you know, and, and you pull over and they have a cold bee for you and you have a chat to them and where they've been and they know everything because they've been around probably eight times and they know all the stories, they know where to stop and it's fantastic. So, yeah, you can pick their brain and sort of um, plan your roots, and yeah, it's great.
0: Now that you mentioned it, I, I did hear about them. Uh, we have um, Shirley uh, and Brian Ricks on from Australia on our, on our Adventure Rider Radio Raw show. And I remember them saying about that, only I thought they were just people who drove around in motorhomes. I didn't realize that they were actually, you know, that they are somebody that was sort of, a, I don't know, I guess a reliable, uh, um, uh, something you can turn to. That's, that's pretty neat.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, it, there's all sorts of people. You know, some people treat it as, uh, you know, let's I'll, I'll go for a month and go home. But I, the, my first stop during my trip around Australia, I stopped out in a bush in sort of free camping. And there, were, um, there, were, there was a couple who was, who was camping there as well. They were great nomads. And they were saying they've been traveling around Australia for eight years. They sold their house. They've got one daughter on the East Coast, another daughter on the West Coast, and they just, you know, travel Christmas here, Easter over there, and they just, you know, they've been absolutely everywhere. But they were so funny. They say, but once a year, we have to have a break, and we're going overseas for a week or two to Thailand or, you know, some cheap, uh, you know, affordable Asian country. <laughs> so I thought it was so funny. You're living a dream. You just, you know, you're constantly on holidays, and then you have to have a break from that and go somewhere else. But, um... <laughs> They were fantastic, you know. And before you you go to any solo ride, and I'm sure everyone is going through the same thing. You know, your friends, your family, everyone is worried, and everyone's saying it's insane because you know it's so dangerous. You're gonna be on your own. There's so many things that can happen to you, and you have to sort of you know you doubt yourself if you can do it. I'm sure everyone you know is going through that because it's so you know you're so anxious before you leave. Because because of the unknown, and you know, you never know if you're gonna be okay. But um, I remember during my farewell farewell party, one of my friends, he said to me, "I I I don't know if you aware, but which way are you going through Northern Territory?" So I showed me. This is where I'm going to go, and he showed me on the like you know, he showed me on the map on this particular road. You have to be very careful because my friend, he's a truck driver, and he. Um, he said there are Aboriginal people who would lay down in the middle of the road so you stop and they will steal stuff from you. They will beat you up and, you know, they will steal your car, bike, whatever. So you have to be really careful. And I'm thinking, are you for real? I'm just leaving literally in three days. I don't need to hear those stories. And you know what? I couldn't sleep that night because I've never heard stories like this before. So during my first night when I stopped, you know, and I met these people and they, they've they been travelling around Australia for 80 years, so I'm thinking my first question was, have you ever had this situation? And they just start laughing and said, look, that maybe happened in the 70s, but not now. You know, he said, we never, ever had situation where, you know, Indigenous would attack us or were unfriendly or they just leave you alone. And it's so true, you know. I've, I've been through communities, I've been through, you know, um, through areas where, you know, 90% of the population of the town would be Indigenous, and they just leave you alone. There's something about being... Solo of female that generally people just leave you alone and I, I was actually surprised that every now and then people would say oh that's so, so good to see you you're traveling on your own and where are you going and then you know but that would be aussies and that would be all people who ride bikes themselves and they're just curious but most of the people just yeah they'll just leave you alone it was yeah it was unreal so i never i've never felt threatened i never felt you know uh, being in danger or anything like that i was very lucky
0: what would you do if you had a problem? What was your backup plan?
2: So, my backup plan for uh, really, I, I can't really fix my own bike. Um, so, I had a spot, and, you know, I could, that's all I had. So, you know, I was for, for custom messages. I'm okay. I'm broken down. I need the call police and, um, and SOS which you know uh, connects to, to to emergency services so uh, that that's all I had and if I'm broken down I had that W road assistance so they only help you out from main roads but that's something you know anywhere around Australia I was covered so I only had to get to the main road and then call for help so if you didn't I didn't have you know um, phone reception which happened all the time because yeah in Australia in remote places you you really struggle with reception and I thought carrying a satellite phone is just too much you know what if I come off my bike I break my leg and the phone is on my bike and then you have to always you know make sure that it's charged it's just too much hassle and it's too expensive as well so I thought spot was perfect never had to use it uh, in terms of emergency never had to use this in terms of uh, breakdown because I've never broken down was so lucky Um, but I was just using to make sure that my family knows that I'm okay. And that was the only, but you know, it's just gives, give them peace of mind that sometimes I was without a reception for, for days and, but they knew exactly where I was and they knew that I'm okay. So, um, that was the only backup plan I had really for breakdowns and, and, and calling for help. Yeah.
0: What, what about a flat tire though? If you get a flat tire, would you do that yourself?
2: Uh, no, <laughs> I wouldn't do it myself. I didn't even have the tools with me. Seriously, I was just
0: <laughs> so you could. So if you got a flat tire, as simple as a flat tire, you were going to be stuck.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I got my first flat tire a um, couple of weeks ago uh, during GS training, um, and at the end of the training, I just got flat tire. And for the very first time, I had to actually, you know, okay, what do I do? So, you know, the trainers had – they 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 pretty much did it all for me. I'm just looking and thinking, there's no way on earth I would be able to do it on my, on my own out in the desert. So I didn't even bother. I just had – I just thought, I've got this BMW road assistance. I'm just going to have to get my bike, you know, to the main road, and then someone's going to have to fix it. I'm not going to even bother, you know – Carrying all that gear with me because I won't be able to do it. So that was my sort of attitude. Yeah. So,
0: Kinga, you are so much braver than me. I mean, I, I get worried if I don't have my air pump with me. <laughs> I don't think I could possibly ride and uh, and not uh, feel that I was prepared to to fix my flat. And of course, you know now. I mean, all you have to do is learn. Well, that's what we all have to do. You learn to fix your flat, but and then
2: it's just so hard to do it with tube tires, it, uh, Jane. You know yourself. So it's just it's. Oh then. Um, but I'm actually thinking about changing wheels and going, you know, changing it for, for tubeless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause I can, it, no problem. I can, it is, I can,
0: it is, it's a total pain in the butt. You got to pull the wheel off and pull your tire off and everything yeah. like that. It's true. But, the, but there yeah. has been times where I've been stuck uh, where, where I've actually got a flat by myself and, and I've had to do it and it, yeah. it, it, it pays off then for sure. But the thought of Crossing the outback of Australia, um, and uh, and not having that. So you had it set up. So I guess when you press the help button, you had somebody already lined up at home that would be able to coordinate yep, things for you.
2: Exactly, exactly. But so it never they would happened. exactly know what to do. Never, never happened. Uh, never ever. I came off my bike twice. Uh, so once during the first part, and that was actually pretty scary because I was going, oh, well, pretty far I was eighty k's per hour, so that's pretty fast on dirt and i would just you know hit the bulldust and lost control and 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 can, can, came off my bike but nothing not nothing happened to me nothing happened to the bike and i was literally on the last day of that first part when i was literally going you know i was showing up for work the next day i'm thinking how lucky that didn't didn't break my leg i didn't you know injure myself because i wouldn't be able to start my work in, in the mine. so that was very lucky uh, it was scary but then you know i picked Picked my bike up and 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 just kept going. So I thought, oh, this is not too bad. And and then yeah, I had a, a had a uh, one more fall on soft sand uh, during the second part. And and I thought, oh, this is this is okay. I just dropped it, you know, in sand. That'd be fine. But uh, the adrenaline didn't kick kicked in because I was going so slow. It, it was just a drop, you know. And. I couldn't – literally, it took me 15 minutes to pick up my bike. I just could not pick it up. And I'm thinking, what's the difference? So the difference is the other one was high speed. I was really scared and, you know, I thought, oh, wow, that was really close and that I could really hurt myself here. And, you know, the adrenaline kicked in and I just picked the bike literally right away. With, with, within a few seconds, the bike was up. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm so strong. I can't believe I'm so strong. But, no, that was the adrenaline, you know, because – the moment I'm relaxed and I dro- I'm dropping my bike, it's much, much harder. You have to take everything off, you know, and then, and, and, yeah, and then I, I did. I, I, I can pick it up, but it's just a little bit, you know, uh, more hassle.
0: Did you take rider training before you left?
2: No, and I regret that because I actually, for the this year, this is the first time when I did uh, training and I really regret I didn't do it before I was going around Australia. And, Jim, my experience um, on that was almost nothing. I purchased my bike two months before I went for my trip. And I remember I went for a sort of, you know, practice ride with my friend. And I I was too scared to even put second gear on that. And I was literally, (laughs) that was really smooth that, that, you know, now I would go probably 100 ks per hour on that dirt. But back then I could not even put in, I was so scared I wouldn't put in second gear. And uh, so that was my skills before I went around Australia. And then just, just learn as you go. And, and I refused not to take the roads. If I had more experience and I had training, I would probably went through even more challenging routes. But the, the, the system I had was, okay, this is a debt I want to do. I will stop in town. Go to tourist information, ask about the conditions because they will always know, you know, and just because someone, you know, was riding, you know, someone who I know rode that dirt, you know, a month ago doesn't mean it's the same condition, it's, you know, it's with Australian climate and especially in Northern Territory when you, you know, I was riding at the, at the end of a rain season. So uh, some of the, the tracks were, were closed still, but that was my rule. Go to tourist information ask what's you know what what are the conditions is it corrugated is it sandy is it uh, is it muddy uh, how challenging is it four-wheel drive track on and, and that sort of stuff and then I thought I would make a decision yep I think I'm ready for that no I probably I shouldn't be going there so that's sort of you know that's how I planned it but uh yeah I did a lot of that and especially uh when I stopped for work in Pilbara uh for work in the mines that's when I really started exploring that because I had all this time. I mean, I didn't have time. I was working every day for three weeks, and I only had one day off. So I would pack up my, you know, pack up my bike, my gear, the night before, and just go riding for a day and a half, and just camp somewhere in random places and just practice, practice, practice. But uh, yeah, I regret I didn't do a training before I went because that would be just I would enjoy it probably more. It would be a little bit less stressful.
0: You don't have that bike anymore. You had an accident with it. Was that after the trip?
2: Yeah, it was after the trip. It was actually last year. I had really bad accident, head-on collision with a car. Um, it was pretty scary. The car came to my side of the road uh, on a whiny road, so I, I really had no way to go. And to be honest, I got it really affected me. I, I came out of it pretty, pretty well. You know, I only had fracture knee and fracture wrist, which was a good outcome for what it was. Um, but uh, psychologically I was devastated so it was yeah it took me months and months to really recover but um, um but yeah bought a new bike now that so that that was in September last year so you know you know I'm still not on I'm okay on that I enjoy that but bitumen roads are just yeah it's just I don't enjoy them as much anymore I think
0: just the idea that, that somebody could come across the road
2: just uh, yeah exactly so for me riding on bitumen is just just to get to that. um, It's, you know, sort of, I treat it this way. Um, Yeah. Maybe eventually I will, you know, uh, it will go away and I will still, I'll enjoy it again. I don't know.
0: You have a video um, on YouTube that I saw of you standing beside your bike. It's all uh, completely smacked in the front. I mean, it's just amazing that you're actually standing there beside the bike after an accident like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, what saved me was because it was in corner, so I was leaning, so when I hit her, I end up on the other side of the road, sort of I just sleep on the other side of the road instead of, you know, going over the car or whatever, you know, could break your neck, you can, you know, really hit it, you can really injure yourself then, but Mm. um, lucky nothing was coming from opposite direction, and I literally lift myself up and I see this big tipper coming down the road and I'm thinking, God, how lucky He, he wasn't. At the split second when I was uh, landing on on that side of the road, so it was very lucky. But then again, you know, you, 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 I think anyone who's been through that, you get these thoughts in your mind: "What if? You know, what if I could die? I could this and 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 yeah." But you just need to stop thinking that. Uh, what happened happened, and you have to move on. And and you know, writing it's part of my identity. I can't even. Uh, even for a moment after the accident, I never had just thought that I need to stop riding because it's dangerous, you know, because I almost died. And I only had thoughts that this is so frustrating. I need to get, I need to be, you know, back on bike as soon as possible because I can't live like this anymore. It, you know, it makes me more depressed because I can't ride. So, yeah, once I healed from my injuries, I was back on bike, bought a new one. And yeah,
0: the old bike, great. the old bike was, gar- well, your, your crash bar survived. I saw you talked about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought, look, I literally installed those crash bars uh, from Outback Motor Tech half an hour before the crash. And uh, yeah, that was honest crash test. And uh, the engine was untouched. I was... You know, amazed how how well they worked, and they 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 did fantastic job. Unfortunately, the front of the bike took such a heat that the forks were bent, and and um, steering head was yeah destroyed. And so, uh, yeah, the bike was a ride so off, complete ride off. Yeah, yeah, but the bars were excellent. So yeah, I, I, I didn't think twice to put them on my new one. So yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying them. They are awesome.
0: Outback oh, motorcycle. Now, where are they manufactured?
2: They 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 made in they made in Hungary. Hangry. Oh,
0: right, right. Yeah, they actually advertise on the show here. Um, it's through Green Chili yeah, Adventure Gear. Yeah. Uh, they handle their their stuff in the United States. You had Green Chili Gear too.
2: I do. I do. I didn't have it during my trip around Australia. I had uh, aluminium panniers and I did it for safety reasons, you know, because travel. I never know what to expect. Now I know Australia is a safe country and you don't really want you camp. You know, no one's going to steal your stuff. But you know, I didn't know what to expect, so I did have. Uh, I went for aluminium panniers because you can lock it, and you can lock your bike, and you don't have to take everything out. You know what I mean? When you, when you, yeah, it's just for safety reasons. And saying that, if if you drop your bike when it lands on on aluminium pannier it's sort of on the angle, so it's much easier to pick it up. So that's another, you know, plus. Uh, with the soft spaniards, it's a bit of a struggle because it's literally horizontal, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a it, it's a different angle. But um, I've been using Green Chili for the last oh, um, year or so, and I'm super happy with it. It's just such a wonderful system that you can put anything, any bag you want, you can, you can attach to the bike and, and it makes your bike so much lighter. I didn't realize, you know, oh, you know, I travel with aluminium panniers only, and I wanted for soft luggage, and it was unreal. It's like, wow, this is so much less weight. This is great. So yeah, normally I just yeah travel with the soft luggage at the moment. Yeah.
0: Well, what's the green chili uh, thing you've got? Is it, is a strapping system?
2: Yeah, so it's um, Uprising. It's called uh, Uprising System. So it's like, like a strapping system with lots of loops and lots of straps that you can, it goes at the back of your bike and you can literally attach any bag you want. So you don't have to go for motorcycle soft panniers that are made just for bikes. You can grab any bag you want and attach it to the bike. So, oh, so you
0: can just use a regular dry bag if you want to.
2: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, then that's what I've been using, uh, Water Shield. Huh. Uh, yeah, so I'm just using uh, the Outdoor Mototech here yeah, sponsored me with the bags and, and this green chili stuff. And, um, yeah, just just regular, you know, um, waterproof bags. And they work awesome. Yeah, I'm super happy with that setup.
0: Wow, nice. What other equipment do you use that you found worked really well for Australia?
2: Well, definitely camel tank. That's a must. And, um, you know, I had a choice. I had a choice when I was buying this bike to go for GSA, so adventure bike with a bigger tank. I just stick to F800GS and Camel Tank. And the reason I went for F800 with Camel Tank because its GS uh, is 15 kilograms lighter than GSA. So that's already advantage. People say it's not much, but it is. It's a lot, 15, you know, uh, kilograms. That's your luggage that you can put on.
0: I mean, the, the GSA, is. it looks like a bigger bike. It looks wider the whole bit. It looks like a, you're into
2: Exactly, a, yeah. Like yeah, a bigger it's machine. It's just wider, it's heavier, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I prefer the look of GS better, and, yeah, I went for it because it's lighter. And the moment you put, Camel Tank is so light. It's literally, I don't know, maybe one kilo, if not. And, you know, and it gives you – Same range as GSA, and um, it's 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 a brilliant system because the fuel uh, from camel tank is emptied first. You know, it's got like a vacuum system, so the fuel from the auxiliary tank is empty first. So you only carry that extra load with a camel tank. You know, in a camel tank for first hundred fifty kilometers, and then it's gone, and then it goes to your you know. it takes fuel from your main tank, so the fuel gauge on your controls is not affected. Um, so, yeah, it works brilliantly. It's light, and, um, yeah, that's that's definitely a must for GSs here in Australia because, yeah, there's plenty of places where yeah, you, you have to carry spare fuel because, yeah, the fuel stations are so spread out.
0: When you have the, the camel tank, do you have to fill that up first, or can you only f- decide when you want to fill it up? No, it, it doesn't up?
2: matter. Yeah, there's no, you don't so you just have fill to fill up no. your normal tank.
0: And if you don't want it, the extra yeah. range, you don't bother.
2: Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing. You've got a choice. You, you can, you can fill it up or if you were just going, you know, you want, you know, you only need that 16 liters to, to get there and back. You don't have to fill it out.
0: So where should somebody go to find out more about what you've done and what you'll be planning to do?
2: So I've got a blog. It's called onherbike.com. Also a YouTube channel, which is, um, on Her bike as well and Instagram um, account, so yeah, check it out. And um, I'm posting stuff on a monthly basis and um, just stuff about you know Australia and, and what's going on here and, and about the events and rides and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, please, please check it out. Mm-hmm.
0: Kinga, thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Jim. It was a pleasure to meet you.
0: And that was Kinga Tanawaska from Australia. You can find out more about her and her journeys by visiting her website, www.onherbike.com. And of course, that will be in our show notes, as it always is. I mentioned to you last week that AeroStitch sells Factory Direct. So when you buy from them, you know you're getting the source for AeroStitch clothing. But here's an interesting fact. AeroStitch sells their suits, their riding suits, in up to 61 sizes. You heard that right, 61 sizes. So now you're probably thinking, how come when it comes to looking at XYZ manufacturers, they only have five or six sizes? Well, it's like this. First of all, if they had 61 sizes, they could never get all the stores to stock them. They wouldn't stock them. They couldn't afford to do it. So why do they have 61 sizes? It's so that you, you get a jacket or pants that fit you correctly. Because with the five or six sizes that many manufacturers offer, You're going to have to either be dead on their size or get it altered. And how difficult is it to get it altered? Pretty difficult um, if you can get it done at all. But with Aero Stitch they offer these 61 sizes when you're buying. That's to make sure that the suit fits you. And on top of that, they offer alterations when you order. So in the same fashion, if you buy quality suits or clothing, that's what Aero Stitch does for our motorcycle gear. So that, again, tells you something about the quality and commitment to correct fit. Um, I'm really super impressed with AeroStitch quality, and I think you will be too www.arrowstitch.com forward slash ARR. You know the ARR stands for Adventure Rider Radio. let them know that you came from here. And also by using the forward slash ARR, you're going to get 10% off your first order or free shipping if you're a return customer. So you can't beat that. Let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. You know, if you stand up much on your pegs when you're riding dirt, you may want to rethink your choice of tank bags. If you've got a big bag, you may want to consider getting a smaller bag, at least in my opinion anyway, because I find the bigger bags sort of push you backwards and you're fighting that to stand up. And of course, that makes riding more difficult. It's the last thing you want. Giant Loop makes an excellent range of tank bags from small to large. So if you do like the large ones, they have those as well, but they have them really nice small ones waterproof and tough, and I mean tough like in a Giant Loop way, you know, that's what they're known for. There's no sense buying a a cheap imitation in my mind because if you get a quality bag the first time, like the ones Giant Loop makes, then chances are you're going to get a lot more riding time out of it than what you will a cheap bag. And on top of that, you get what you pay for. You're buying a waterproof bag, it'll be waterproof because you know that's what their reputation for quality is. Giant Loop makes tough, sensible bags for your motorcycle. And the people behind the company are riders. And I say this all the time because I really think it's important when we're buying products that we buy from not just a big corporate company, but companies that are made up of people like you and me who love riding, who are enthusiastic about motorcycles. And and you just have to follow Giant Loop on Facebook. And you'll see Harold, the owner, out there all the time, posting all kinds of things about bike riding. Don't take my word for it. (laughs) Go to Facebook and see what they're doing. GiantLoopMoto.com. Use the promo code ARR for free shipping in the U.S., And also let them know anytime you're dealing with them at all. Let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Brian Clark has not always been a motorcycle rider. He's, uh, well, I guess you could say a late bloomer as far as motorcycle riding goes. He wasn't happy being a mechanic. He uh, He's from the UK and he had a couple of failed relationships and he's sort of getting fed up with things. So he decided to sign up for a motorcycle trip, a guided motorcycle trip. And he went on it and he didn't particularly like it. But he did end up falling in love with motorcycle travel through that trip. The motorcycle not only changed his life as far as adventure goes, but it also introduced him to his wife.
1: This is Brian Clark uh, from southern England, and I used to be a mechanic.
0: Brian, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. So what do you mean, used to be a mechanic?
1: Um, well, I suppose I still am, but I sort of packed it all in about five years ago to go and do better things.
0: You have uh, been riding a motorcycle around for some time, and I guess you started, well, first of all, how did you start riding anyway? Is this something you've been doing since you were a kid?
1: No, I'm not one of those guys that, you know, got a long a motorcycle at an early age. I I passed my test about 15 years ago. Uh, Motorcycling is just something I've always like the look of, you know, it looked pretty cool. So I thought I'd give it a go, pass my test. Um, it just took me a few years to uh, get the funds, really, to buy an unnecessary thing. You know, I didn't really need a motorcycle. It was just, a, you know, a toy, a big boy's toy, really. Hang on a second. Uh, Hang on a second.
0: Hang on. There's, there's something desperately wrong with what you're saying. There are a lot of people who are listening right now <laughs> who completely disagree with you, Brian. <laughs> what do you mean you didn't need a motorcycle? Of course you did. You just didn't realize it.
1: Well, okay, this is five years ago. Before, <laughs> before I needed a motorcycle. Right. <laughs> well, I, I was living on my own, so I was just barely keeping my nose above water when it came to, uh, um, you know, funding my life. So it was an unnecessary expense, let's put it that way. So when I could finally afford one, I uh, yeah, I got a motorcycle and um, just fell in love with it. Really, I I started off just you know using it as a commuter thing, really, and you know the odd Sunday ride here and there.
0: And that's really how I got into it. You started with a, a six hundred Bandit. That's right, yeah. And so that's a cruiser bike.
1: Yeah, that was just a commuter bike. Really, it was, and um, it was falling apart. Really, I got it back on the road. I bought it cheap, um, and then just I, I rode it into the ground. I rode it every day to work through snow, ice, you know, rain, whatever. It's outside in in the snow as well. Yeah, that, that thing had a hard life.
0: Did that develop a love for motorcycling, though, just using it as a commuter?
1: Yeah, it certainly did, yeah. I, I sort of um, upgraded then to a, a Honda Fireblade, which um, scared the crap out of me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's when I realized speed isn't really my bag.
0: When did Speaking of bags, when did you start putting bags on them and riding distances?
1: Um, well, that was... Uh, late two thousand and nine into two thousand and ten, I uh, was just
0: okay. So, so you, you had a few failed relationships, and and I like the way you you wrote a hatred for my job as a mechanic, a desperate <laughs> need to change my life. <laughs> so, the day to day grind, obviously, a car mechanic, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you, and you just couldn't like you had to work to become a car mechanic. It's not something you just you don't go and do a, a two day training and become that. You had to put some time into that.
1: Yeah, I I was was sort of in the motor trade for about 20 years. And um, uh, having your head stuck under a bonnet for that amount of time, it it doesn't do you any good physically or mentally. And um, I I was just sick of it. I just had enough. Um, uh, I'd I'd sold my house. Um, I'd uh, broken up with my ex-partner and uh, didn't really have any reason to be here. You know, I had no bills to pay. I didn't owe anyone anything. And I just thought I, I need something else. I need some adventure. I need. I, I just need to do something. I just wanted to get out of this rut. So,
0: Sorry. where from that, does a motorcycle trip come up? I mean, did you see a brochure somewhere? Or what was it that spurred you on to a motorcycle trip?
1: Well, it was almost. I I, I was in that rut, and I just. I, I honestly can't remember where I saw it, but I think it was online. I saw um, an advert for this uh, group ride. This uh, it's like a tour. A tour ride through South America. And um, I just saw that and instantly thought, that's it. That will do me. That's exactly what I'm looking for. So I signed up for that. And,
0: and now, um, is this the thing that you sign up for and you got to bring your motorcycle over for? Or is this an organized tour where everything's done?
1: Um, yeah, um, I wouldn't like to say it was organized. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> but that's how it appeared to begin that's, that's, with. Yeah, that's the wrong word. It's a <laughs> disorganized tour. Um, yeah, uh, we we rallied together in England. We we put our bikes together, and they were shipped to Buenos Aires, where we rode down to Ushuaia and then up to Alaska.
0: Was this supposed to be a guided trip, or was it something just a whole bunch of people got together, and decided to do at once?
1: No, it was a uh, in um, in quote marks it was a professional organized tour. Ah.
0: Uh. And that took you, um, you, you, I guess you flew into Buenos Aires?
1: Yeah, we flew into Buenos Aires. Uh, it took us about a week to get our bikes out of the, uh, the shipping port. You know, they were bending us over a barrel and uh, you know, trying to get bribes out of us. So it took us a week, so we were already a week behind. It was a fast trip anyway. Um, so we were basically playing catch-up every day. And uh, yeah, we did it in uh, about 10 weeks so you went where? Well, we started in Buenos Aires and just basically followed Route 3 down the eastern side of Argentina to um, Ushuaia, turned around um, and then went up Route of 40 and uh, basically all the way up to Alaska.
0: So all this was, you, you were saying you're, you're playing catch-up, so was it just like go, go, go every
1: day? Yeah, exactly that. Um, I think our, on the when our bikes got released from the shipping ports, uh, it was about three in the morning, uh, and we rode about forty miles just outside of uh, BA just to get um, you know someone to put our heads down for the night. And then the second day, which was our first proper day of riding, we did about uh, five hundred and thirty miles. Oh wow! Yeah, 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 and that's you know most of the people there were like me; they hadn't really done any long distance before you know and so that was our first day it was a baptism of fire
0: <laughs> so what happens when you get to Alaska were your bikes to be shipped from Alaska back home
1: yeah uh, no um, we got to Alaska um, and then rode to New Jersey and then they were shipped back to the UK but uh. mine did mine <laughs> we'd ridden about 17,000 miles and 31 miles from our end point which was Hyder in Alaska at the very bottom, my bike broke down.
0: Now, which bike was this? Uh,
1: this was a Yamaha XT660Z Teneri, the bike I still ride today.
0: As much as it sounds horrible, <laughs> like it sounds like this, this not, I wouldn't say horrible, but it certainly sounds like not the ideal adventure. It's really the thing that changed your life, though.
1: Yeah, it was definitely an experience. And um, <clears throat> the, the main thing I got from it was it showed me how easy it was to travel. After paying these people this money and um, you know traveling with them, you just thought, why am why am I paying these people to do this? This is so easy. And prior to us going, I was obviously had the usual trepidation of going to a foreign country. I'd never really travelled before. You know, I'd had the odd holiday here and there, but going to South America, you know, it was scary. It was a scary business. Sure. But- after being there, you know, you just thought, why was I scared? These people are wonderful people, you know. Everyone's got a smile on their face and, you know, there's no gun-toting drug lords, you know, you know slamming a gun in your face everywhere you go, <laughs> you know. It was it was just fantastic and I just thought, this is what I needed. This is for me.
0: So you get there and I guess really you're doing a lot of, the, a lot of your work. I mean, as you go through borders, you're handling your own paperwork, were you?
1: Yeah, pretty much because, um, like I say, it was a disorganized tour. The, um, the leader was on his own and, you know, he would go and do his own paperwork and then shoot off and leave us to it. Basically, we had to, yeah, get for ourselves, figure it out as we went along, really.
0: What was – I'm sort of curious. I don't want to focus on this, but what was the leader doing then for the trip?
1: His own thing. Wow.
0: He didn't really care. And, and is it a company that's done other trips before?
1: Yeah, he's, he's a really, you know, he's a famous guy. Um, I wouldn't want to say his name, yeah.
0: but no, that's <laughs> we didn't fine. get on very well. I, I, was, I wasn't after that, but uh, it's interesting because, like, in a way, like I said, you know, it, it's really something that wasn't ideal for you. But uh, on the other hand, it showed you that, well, you can travel and you, and you can travel no problem at all. This, this is the thing that fueled you, in your words, to change your life.
1: Yeah, exactly that. That's, that's what I mean. I just, why am I paying people to do this? You know, I could have I could have done this on my own, no problem. Yeah, It was a great um, tool for learning how to do this stuff and you know, opening your eyes. But, yeah, I just thought, this is for me. I'm, I'm going to do more of it.
0: So 31 miles from the, the finish, so to speak, your your bike craps out. You've got to get towed the rest of the way. What do you do then?
1: Um, yeah, just near Bear Glacier, my bike, uh, the rectifier died, so I had no electricity. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine towed me into Haida. Uh I couldn't really diagnose it, I wasn't carrying enough tools on me at the time, so I strapped a car battery to the back with some jump leads put them on and tried to uh, ride it back to there, but I it didn't get me very far um, so it was put in the support vehicle and um, I was uh, taken back to Calgary where luckily I have a friend who lives in Calgary and I stuck the bike in the corner of his garage I I tried various ways of trying to get it fixed or um, trying to ship it home, but I I just realized, you know, it's it's cheaper for me just to leave it here, and I I flew home, and um, I just sort of, I call it the hamster wheel, I fell back into the hamster wheel of, uh, you know, just working, earning money, paying bills, and, and my bike just sat in Canada waiting for my return
0: the hamster wheel i think that is i think that'll probably ring with a lot of people because life is a lot like that isn't it you see, you work to make your money and then you pay your bills and then you go back to work to make your your make some more money again it's tough to sort of figure out what it's all about
1: exactly that yeah you, 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 know, you do your work your money gets handed to you in one hand and you pass it on to the next person really you never really get to enjoy it
0: so how'd you get off the hamster wheel
1: um, well, well, actually,
0: so, so, no. First, I should ask you, Brian, is really what what woke you up to the fact that you're back on it again?
1: Well, I wrote about this actually. I'm writing my book at the moment, and I just wrote about this that um, when I got home, I expected, you know, I expected to be on TV and you know have people throwing parties for me that I'd done this amazing adventure. <laughs> but it's not after, it's, you know, I, I knew nothing about the you know adventure world. I knew nothing about it. And after getting back, I started researching it a bit more and realized people were doing the Pan Am Highway on penny farthings and skateboards. You know, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a fantastic thing. So I sort of thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, earn some money now. And, but I, I got offered a job, basically. I, I wasn't even looking for a job. And I fell back into a, the same sort of company that I was with before. And um, yeah, just got into that old hatred of that job again and um, my bike was sitting in Canada I, again I, I had no bills to pay I, I call it I call it the call from the gods but it was actually a call from my friend John and he said <laughs> Brian I'm, I'm emigrating back to the UK you've got to come and get your bike so like, right okay so I, I at the time I'd also just qualified for permanent residency for Australia I been. this was another avenue I was pursuing to get out of the the hamster wheel, I was going to go and emigrate to Australia. How how do you
0: qualify for a permanent residency?
1: Um, You hand over a lot of money and you do a lot of paperwork for many, (laughs) many years. (laughs) That's what they want. Yeah, that's basically it. So (laughs) So I've managed to uh, do that and uh, so I thought okay, I hatched a little plan of okay, I'll go back to Canada, fix my bike and I'll ride around North America for five or six months uh, and then I had to ship it to Australia. And I was going to start my new life in Australia. I had a few friends over there already, and I was going to sort of slip into a, a job over there and um, see if see if that was a better life, really. Did you end up going to Australia? Uh, I did, but um, in the five months that I was traveling around North America, I met Michelle, who you've had on the radio, Sturgis chick. Mm-hmm and um, that sort of threw a spanner in the works really because you know, we sort of hit it off so uh, I left my bike at her place and I still went to Australia and validated my visa uh, and I stayed there for 6 months, I bought a car I travelled around everywhere in Australia for 6 months
0: now to take the listener back, Michelle Lampfier has been on the show, as you said, Sturgis chick. We talked about her growing up in the town of Sturgis, with iconic for for motorcycles, for sure. Not merely adventure riding necessarily, but motorcycles to uh, to say the least. And what she described was, so there's this guy who shows up looking to couch surf, and which is you, and she goes to meet you with a friend from what I can remember from the story, and it's really to, to sort of suss you out. And um, she said, "You looked, uh, I guess, beaten down and somewhat harmless." <laughs> so, so she decided to let you stay at her house. But really, she also, at the same time, I think described you as sort of being the epitome of the the world traveler. You, you know, you had that look. Was was that what you were when you showed up at her door?
1: <laughs> I had that look. Well, dirty, bearded, and smelly. <laughs> that's fairly accurate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's pretty much how it happened. I. I'd been working in um, Saskatchewan uh, on a a horse ranch uh, with um, Help Exchange, the website. You can work on people's places for food and board. Um, And I'd been doing that for a couple of weeks, fixing this guy's generators and jeeps and compressors and stuff, which was great fun. And he told me about couch surfing. He said, have you heard of couch surfing? I said, no. So he showed me and I thought, well, that's great. That's exactly what I'm looking for, you know, free accommodation and a local to tell you all about the area. So I headed south uh, through Saskatchewan, North Dakota, and into South Dakota, and I wanted to see Mount Rushmore and the Badlands and sent Michelle a request. She was my first host. I've never done it before. And, um, yeah, she had – she didn't usually like single – single you know, men staying with her for obvious reasons. Yeah. Good idea. <laughs> but she had another two guys, a Russian, I think, and another German, I think, or something, who were going to stay as well. So she thought, okay, you know, three guys, that's, yeah you know, they're not all going to be crazy. So she accepted all of us, but in the meantime, the other two had backed out. They got, you know, broken down or something. They couldn't make it, but she'd already said yes to me. So she st- that's why she wanted to check me out before mm. before we went back to her place. And so uh, she
0: felt she was sort of stuck taking you.
1: Yeah, I think so. But I remember sitting in the uh, the hotel lobby or the bar, and I was just slumped into this chair. Because I'd been riding in rain for about a week, and I was just so knackered. And uh, her friend was checking me out, and I could see them sort of whispering. And I knew what, what was going on. And I just said, look, I'm way too tired to kill you. So... <laughs> You're fine. I haven't even got an ax Don't worry about it.
0: <laughs> so you, you hung out with Michelle for a while and then you guys ended up doing a trip together, which we've heard about. And I know during that trip, Michelle broke her leg in, in Newfoundland, right? Uh, Sorry, Lab- it was yeah. Labrador. Yeah,
1: that's right.
0: Yeah. And then you, you dealt with that. And, and I guess since then you've sort of, you've developed this passion for, for riding around on motorcycles and even riding now as well. So you went from mechanic to rider.
1: Uh, well, that's the dream, yeah. I I'd, I'd like to write, but um, you know, it's not going very far at the moment. <laughs> uh, I have been writing my book for a while, uh, about eight chapters so far. Um, yeah, that's going okay, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, unleashing that on the world. Well, what
0: did you do? You went and picked up your bike in Calgary from your friend that was leaving, and where did you go before you met up with Michelle?
1: Uh, from Calgary, I headed south into Montana, um, and... Basically, uh, I just got rained on constantly. Uh, They called Montana Big Sky State. I called it Big Gray Wet Cloud Sky State because it just, you couldn't see an end to this Gray cloud. It was amazing. So for days and days, I was just getting rained on. And then I'd already signed up for this Help Exchange website. And because I was a mechanic and I listed that, people were actually sending me requests rather than me sending them requests because they really needed my help so this guy in Saskatchewan um, on that horse ranch sent me a message said look what are you doing we've got a lot of vehicles that need sorting out can you come up and like I say I was getting drenched I just thought that sounds great you know free accommodation free food and you know, working on a farm that sounds great I'll go and do that for a, a few days and see if the, the weather clears so, yeah, I rode east all the way across Montana and then up into Saskatchewan. And, uh, yeah, stayed on his horse ranch for two weeks working. And th- this guy was ex-military, so he had a lot of guns and rifles and told me lots of stories about Afghanistan and things like that, <laughs> where, he, where he, he was an amazing guy. Really, really, the stories he came out with were incredible. And then, yeah, down into North Dakota and South Dakota. And you know, I left Michelle's and headed west to oh, I sort of had an idea in my head to hit as many national parks as possible. Really, you know, Yellowstone and Grand Canyon, Bryce. Yeah, just I mean that's where you're going to see the real, the beautiful stuff. So that's what I did, and then yeah, hit as many of them as possible. Then headed up the east coast, sorry, the west coast, back into Canada, Vancouver Island. Uh, Then I met a friend in Vancouver. He flew out. He 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 was on the original trip I did, the the tour guided trip he flew out to meet me in Vancouver and he rented a KLR and then we rode together up to dead horse and back in three weeks, which was fantastic. It was a great, great little mini trip for us.
0: Well, the, the working thing, the work exchange thing, how does that work? You work seven days a week? No, you must work like, you know, a few days a week and then a few days off or?
1: Um, it really depends. Um, the help exchange thing is, 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 I've had really, really great experiences with it, uh, in Canada and the States, and Australia, um, um, yeah it depends on who you work for really uh, the, the guy I worked for up in um, Saskatchewan was great he, he was my age and we had a lot of stories to tell And he just um, had a lot of stuff to fix and I just got on with that it was great and I'd, I'd probably work four or six hours a day and then the rest of the day was yours um, yeah it's really up to the person yeah you could have a real work you know, driven person that wants you to work all the time I never really got that. I did hear stories of people, you know, horsey people working at these horse ranches and they would make them sleep on the hail bays. What I'm always curious with that sort of thing is, I mean,
0: you know, I I hate to bring this up, but I mean, it is, it is probably sort of illegal in most countries to do. And is there a threat that you have to sort of do as you're told with them? or they're going to, you know, phone the authorities and say this person's working illegally?
1: Um, yeah there is a great it is a grey area I've I've heard of people that have turned up at airports and you know they asked them what are you doing here and they said well I'm working for help exchange and then they don't get allowed in But you know the border people know that they're not going to get paid uh, you know, which is which is the uh, the crux of it um, so there is some sort of grey area there. I don't quite know how it cuz it's an open website you know people you know, the government can view it. They know it's going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the gray area is you just don't get paid. You get paid in food and accommodation. Yeah, so, but
0: here like, in Canada, as soon as, you, as soon as you say that, as soon as you're getting something, they'll consider that pay. And what they'll do is they'll look at it for like a value. They'll say, well, you know, if you're getting food and accommodation, that has a value and this is the value of it. And therefore you, you should be taxed, paying tax on it and you're working illegally, that, that whole thing.
1: Mm. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't know how it works, but I mean, I got away with it and it was great.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, people do it all the time. There's another one, uh, the, like, they call them woofers and it's, it's quite That's common. It, yeah. yeah. It's, it's exactly com- the same as
1: the woofers, yeah.
0: Okay, well, it's quite common here in BC and people come and do it all the time. You see all kinds of people from other countries. Really, it's a fantastic way for people to experience an area and, and even the people who live in an area to experience people from other places. I, I think it, the exchange is just so good. But unfortunately, yeah, the, the, government, if they catch wind of it, um, they want to crack down on that. So you, yeah, you got to sort of keep it on the down low. And I was always wondering, like, as you you're saying these people forced to do that. I was wondering if, you know, if I didn't like something, I think I'd want to get up and move, but is there that fear where someone's going to say, well, if you go anywhere, cause I have heard of that where uh, people are teaching English in other countries where you have to be careful because some countries you have to be certified as an English teacher yeah. and, and many people will work, but there's this fear of the, the employer can sort of yeah. get you in trouble.
1: Yeah, um, I I had a fantastic time doing it. I did it in Australia as well and working on other ranches, welding. It was mainly welding, funnily enough. I I hate stick welding. I'm a great MIG welder, but I hate stick welding. And every bloody place I went to, it was, oh, can you weld this fence up? And (laughs) I I did get very good at it, though, (laughs) the amount I had to do. Um,
0: Well, MIG welding sort of makes you look like you really know what you're doing, though, to be (laughs) fair. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you can do a good good stick world you're a good world yeah um, but I only had one bad experience and that was actually funny enough was with Michelle in uh, Columbia I think we worked on a coffee thinker a coffee farm for a week and that was hell <laughs> we hated it, it just, this guy wanted us to work you yeah, know be up at 6 in the morning and yeah we worked all right through to the evening and looked after their baby and done housework and yeah it was wow. on the website actually says you should only work about four to six hours a day but we i think one day we did something like 14 or 16 hours or something wow. it was ridiculous maybe yeah. you
0: thought that meant that he was supposed to only work four to six hours a day you pick up the rest
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he did all right out of us
0: <laughs> so what do you do you just you just grin and bear it and just work and
1: yeah because it's it's that feedback thing again you know it's like ebay Yeah, you know, they give feedback and you give feedback so oh right. we that's how – it's like couch surfing as well, you know. That's how you get a good reputation on your profile is for feedback. So we didn't want to, you know, sort of in off as it were, get bad feedback really. Yeah. So we just, yeah, grinned and bared it for a week or five days or whatever it was and left. And we, we didn't even want to give bad feedback then. Once we'd left, we just sort of say, said, um, you know, if you've got nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. So we didn't even – leave anything and funnily enough they didn't leave us so I don't know what they thought of us <laughs>
0: <laughs> didn't work hard
1: enough <laughs> yeah we were just happy to get out of there and what's next um we should be settling down for a little while saving up some pennies again and uh we've got sort of, Siberia and Mongolia in our sights yeah we're looking at shorter journeys this time six months um cause like you know we'd like to do Russia and Kazakhstan and Mongolia and you can't really spend more than sort of six months in that area anyway because of the, uh, the weather.
0: But six months is a long time. And most people would look at that as a, a pretty major adventure.
1: Yeah, you can do a lot in six months, yeah. But when you've been traveling for four and a half, five years, six months isn't, doesn't <laughs> yeah. seem very long.
0: <laughs> Seems like a little jaunt. So then what do you do? So you go for six months and then you come back and you're going to work and...
1: Yeah, we hope to... Um, get some sort of business that can like run itself or, you know, something that can create income and tick over while we're away. That's the idea.
0: I've uh, heard of these.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody wants <laughs> that one.
0: I want a business that will make me money while I'm not there and I don't have to work at. That's well, not too much to ask, is it? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, there's got to be something nowadays.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> this, this internet thing. Maybe, maybe there's something on there that can... Uh,
0: well, it's, it's true, though, isn't it? Like, you know, in, in all seriousness, I mean, th- there are a lot of things you can do on the internet now. Um, maybe not as a mechanic, but there, there's a lot of other things that you can do on the internet and you can do while you're traveling. I mean, people are doing it and it works. It's a really neat idea.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Michelle's in the t- tourism hot- hotel sort of trade. So hopefully we can get something maybe in the tourism industry that we can set up and, you know, let that run, get somebody trained up and run it for us while we're away. Who knows? But, uh, you yeah, know, if you've got the idea in your head, hopefully something will happen. You've got the dream there, got the desire to go.
0: You've noted several times about um, the people that you meet. Tell us more about that.
1: Um, well, it was a surprise to me because, like I said, in England, I've, I think we're in our own little bubble. We're iso- not, uh, insulated. We're not really isolated. Yeah, you know, we don't like getting involved in other people's business. We stick to ourselves But when I, on that first trip in South America, you know, it's just people were just so open and everyone would say hello and everyone would bend over backwards to help you or they would give you stuff, you know, just give you anything, give you, you know, even if they've got nothing, you know, a a mud hut, they would give you something. And um, that just completely opened my eyes really. And uh, that wasn't what I was expecting, you know, I was just expecting to be a, you know, beautiful scenery and have a good time with my friends and drink beer and, campfires and things like that i I had no idea that the one thing that would really stick in my mind on all my travels would uh would be the people and it's it's still to this day is the best thing about travel is the people
0: so does that change your focus now when you when you go somewhere you find yourself looking more to what cultures you can experience rather than what scenery you can see
1: um, yeah, yeah, that's still there. Uh, the scenery thing is still a massive part of it for me. You know, getting into the the middle of Bolivia, and seeing scenery there is just wow. You know, that's still a massive part of it. But yeah, uh, I'm way more open to uh, meeting other people and you know saying hello to people, which I wasn't before
0: do you find riding the motorcycle opens doors for you when you're traveling somehow makes it easier? Is that your, your sort of your way in when you get into a new place and you want to fit in?
1: Um, definitely the motorcycle is the icebreaker. Um, I, I, I don't know what it is about motorcycles, but it seems to be an international language that people can just approach you if you want a motorcycle. I, I really don't know why. Maybe it's that, um, you know, that vulnerability thing. Um, But yeah, definitely on that, that first impression is definitely the motorcycle you can just, you just pull up. I thought uh, that's something I learned actually on the first part of my trip in the States was if I ever felt lonely, i would just go into a gas station and get a map out and just stand there with a map. And then within two or three minutes, somebody would be talking to you about where you're going, where you're from, what you're doing. And you could just talk to somebody. And I think that's, you know, if, if you were doing that in a car, maybe you would get that in a car, but I, I really don't think it would be as, as easy as that in a car. You know, you've got that shell around you, you've got your own little protective space.
0: Well, that was Brian Clark from the UK, and you can find out more about Brian and his exploits by visiting his website, onepistononeworld.com. And that link will be in our show notes. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter, too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and B-Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. <laughs> green chili adventure gear offers american-made heavy-duty innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding green chili adventure gear is also the exclusive usa distributor for outback motor tech a canadian company that specializes in high quality protection for motorcycles visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com greenchiliadv.com wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it i'd like to give a special thanks of course to our co-producer elizabeth martin and if you follow us on facebook hey which i hope you do if you don't follow us on facebook already do us a favor drop by the facebook page and like it but we posted a picture there um well we changed our background picture so now you can actually see what we look like so you can see elizabeth and myself there on the towel anyway you have to go see it I guess it's time to get out there and ride your bike now. Now, Owen, don't forget, um, coming up in uh, in Canada, if you're in Canada in the summertime, Can West, I think it's the end of August, look it up on the Horizons Unlimited site. We're going to be there and we're going to be recording our ARR Raw Live uh, show while we're going to be recording our ARR show live. Well, you know what I should do is I should do a blooper reel. You'd probably like to hear this. Anyway, Can West this summer. ARR Live. ARR Raw Live. I just can't do it. (laughs) Drop by and see us at the show. (laughs) It'll be a lot of fun. My name's Jim Martin, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. No excuse. Time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. See you next week. Guy, uh, coming to you from Adventure Rider Radio.